first reading is chapter John. Jesus said, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from 1 Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send to you Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me in the one who I name to you. Samuel said what the Lord commanded, and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ready, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel set out and went to Ramah. The third reading is from Solomon. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And put a new and steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. The, Lord of the, the word of the Lord. Well, let us pray. Holy Spirit, anoint our hearts with your word this morning. Amen. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning we hear of another call story. If you remember, last week we heard about a boy named Samuel being called by God in the night and being given a message for his mentor, Eli. Well, this week we once again find Samuel delivering a message, this time in the form of ritual anointing David with oil to show that he is the one God has chosen to be king. Now, between last week's reading and this week's reading, decades have passed, and much has changed in Israel. 
Samuel, of course, has grown up. He's become both a prophet and a priest, universally respected in Israel, and he is now in the latter part of his ministry. And Israel now has a king. The popular drive toward forming a monarchy, which I mentioned last week, well, it's now happened. And the tribes of Israel are now united under a king named Saul, a king whose reign, though not without its problems, has been mostly successful thus far, at least judging by appearances. Saul certainly looks the part uh, of a successful king. He's from a wealthy family. He's tall and imposing, and uh, he's described as a young man as being among the most handsome of men in all of Israel. And militarily, he's been, again, mostly effective. He's been helping to establish this fledgling kingdom in a land that is full of enemies. However, there's a problem. Saul has failed. He's failed to trust in God and to listen to Samuel's instructions on more than one occasion. Saul's impetuous nature has almost spelled ruin for the army on more than one occasion, and it is becoming clear that his heart is not driven by trust in God, but by fear and anxiety and insecurity. And finally, this leads God to reject Saul as king. Now, for our reading, Saul has just been told of this rejection. Just in the verses immediately prior, he's told that God has rejected him from being king, and yet he will remain king for another decade at least. So you can see how Samuel's task of secretly anointing Saul's successor is a dangerous task for everyone involved. Well, despite the risk, Samuel goes where God calls him, to the family of Jesse in Bethlehem. And once he is with them, he meets, uh, and he meets Jesse's sons, he begins to guess which of them might be the one God has chosen to be the next king. The first one who comes is the firstborn, Eliab, and he must look the part, much like uh, King Saul did, because Samuel immediately thinks to himself, ah, certainly this is God's anointed. But of course it's not, for God does not judge according to human standards, according to appearances, but in a different way. So the rest of Jesse's sons come in, all of them younger and less regal than their older brother Eliab, and one by one God makes it clear to Samuel that this is not the king God has chosen. Finally, after the seven sons of Jesse uh, pass by, Samuel is perplexed. God sent him here, after all, at great peril to his own life to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king, and yet it seems that none of Jesse's sons are the ones God has chosen. So Samuel, confused, asks Jesse, is this everyone? And Jesse, offhand, says, well, there's one more, the youngest, but we left him out in the field to watch the sheep. Well, Samuel insists they bring him, and it becomes clear as soon as he gets there that this is the one God has chosen to be king. So Samuel wastes no time. He, he immediately gets up, he anoints him with oil, and we're told that the Spirit of the Lord was with David from that time onward. Now, this story is a great story, and it is especially so if you are the youngest in your family. Or even if you're not the youngest, but you uh, felt that you grew up or, or live in the shadow of your siblings, well, then this is the story for you. Because here God chooses as king the youngest of eight sons. 
God chooses one who didn't rank highly enough to even be invited to the party. Even when David's brothers are having their little procession uh, for Samuel, it's not until Samuel specifically asks if there's anyone else that Jesse even mentions that he has a youngest out in the field. And yet, this is the boy that God has already chosen to be king. This is a life-changing event for David. Prior to this choosing, David is a nobody, at least in the public's eye. He's simply the youngest son in a family with no shortage of sons caring for his father's sheep. In fact, you might have noticed that he isn't even named until the very last verse of our reading. Even as you read it, David goes from being the nameless youngest son to once he's anointed being David, the one on whom God's spirit has come. After this choosing, after being anointed as king, things are entirely different for David. Rather than being nobody, he is now God's chosen, God's anointed, or in Hebrew, God's Mashiach, that is God's Messiah, which means anointed one. And rather than being alone in the field while the rest of his family goes to worship, the spirit of the Lord is now with David, accompanying him wherever he goes. Now, if you know anything about the story of David from this point onward, you'll know that he was the greatest king Israel ever knew. That every king after him was compared with David as a benchmark. David was bold and courageous, slaying that great warrior Goliath as a boy, fighting valiantly for God's people, and always treating Saul rather and his family with respect even during the years that Saul was trying to have him killed out of jealousy. Now, David was also a sinner, and in a big way. He was no stranger to violence, and his passions could and did cause serious damage, most notably in the episode with Bathsheba, the wife of one of his commanders. He took her for himself and then secretly had her husband killed in battle to cover up what he had done. In fact, the psalm that we read from, Psalm 51, is attributed to David seeking forgiveness after God sent a prophet to confront him with his guilt for this episode. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. However, the one defining characteristic of David throughout his whole life was his faithfulness to Yahweh, to the God of Israel. David never strayed into idolatry, but held fast to the God of Israel, trusting in God to provide for him even in the most dire of circumstances. In short, what defined David, what set him apart from Saul who preceded him, was faith. David trusted God. In good times and in bad, whether guilty or innocent, in his old age and in his youth, David trusted in God. But of course, why wouldn't he, you might ask? After all, God had chosen him personally. God had sent Samuel, this great prophet, to come and personally anoint David as king. And David had that memory, that knowledge of that anointing his whole life long. In that anointing, David had received a promise from God, and the Spirit came to David and filled his heart with faith, with trust in that promise. And the Spirit maintained that faith, even when King Saul was pursuing David, trying to kill him. 
or when David's son Absalom tried to overthrow him, or when the guilt of his bloodshed drove him nearly to despair. Through all these things, David judged not by the appearance of how things were, but by the promise he had received as a boy, being driven not by fear or anxiety or impatience, but by faith in the God who had chosen him. David's whole life and legacy flowed from this anointing. Do you see where I'm headed? You too have received an anointing. You too have been chosen by God, who judges not as humans do, but according to God's own choosing. For God has seen you, past the layers of acceptability that you put forward, past the virtue, past the sin, those parts of you you work so hard to hide, God has looked deep into your heart, deeper than you can look at yourself, and God has chosen you. Just as God chose David, or Samuel, or Mary, or any of the others. God has seen you not just as you are, but as God has chosen you to be. In your baptism, God sent someone to anoint you, to make public God's choice of you, and to give you the promise that would carry you your whole life through so you could remember it and trust in it and be guided by it. In times of plenty and in times of want, in times of guilt and in times of innocence, in times of clarity and in times of confusion, for God's promise to David led to God's promise in Jesus. And that promise now belongs to you. So that you may not judge your life by appearances alone, but by God's enduring promise to you. So that your whole life might flow out of that promise given to you in your baptism. For you also are God's chosen, God's beloved. And in you, God delights. Amen.